Good morning. I'd like to welcome you to Forks of Elkhorn Baptist Church. I'd like to give a very special welcome to any first-time guests that we have. If this is your first time worshiping with us here at the Forks, you are our honored guest. <clears throat> we would invite you after the service to go by the <clears throat> Welcome Center and pick up a, a small gift as a token of our love and appreciation of you being here today. If you're worshiping with us online, we welcome you and so grateful that you tuned in to be a part of this special service. I know today is a wonderful day in the Lord and you're in for a real blessing today. I'm going to be introducing our special guest in just a few moments, but we've already received a blessing at the 830 service. I know the Lord is going to use Jason again in just a moment in a mighty way, but we are grateful that you're here this morning. I'm going to invite you if you're in this place, to stand and tell someone you're glad to see them here today. Could you do that?
Is who you are. That is who you are. That is who you are. 
message and song and we have welcomed the Holy Spirit into this place. I'm so grateful that our God is a way maker, a miracle worker. Maybe you're here today and, and you're needing a miracle in your life. I believe with all my heart that God of performing need a miracle spiritually. Maybe you're in need of a miracle financially. Maybe relationally. Maybe you're in need of a miracle. Again, in a decision that you have to make. God is able to do immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. And that's the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm so grateful that Every week there's an opportunity, if you're in this place, certainly wherever you're worshiping, you can make that your altar, your place of prayer, but this altar is open if you would like to come and kneel 
or stand or place an arm of encouragement around someone, I invite you to come at this time as we lift up our prayers together. Would you come pray with me today? someone or many here or watching that feel like they are in an, an impossible situation, but you are a way maker, a miracle worker, and you never stop loving us. You never stop strengthening us. You never stop healing us. You never stop helping us. Oh God, we need you. And we pray for a fresh anointing of your Holy Spirit, revive us again. Father, I just lift up those who have come to this altar, people praying from their seats, people praying from their homes, some maybe on vacation and other places. You know what's going on, but yet we cry out to you, God, and we need you. Father, we continue to lift up Jeff and Becky Crook and their family and their great loss of their son, Jackson. Comfort them as only you can. Father, we pray for the Brandy Hensley family and his passing and ask God that you would comfort them and give them peace in their loss. Father, we lift up so many we have in the hospital or going through some type of treatment right now. We know, God, you use doctors and modern medicine to bring healing, and we know you have the divine power to bring miracles of healing. God, if someone needs a miracle today, increase our faith. And Father, we pray if it's your will that a miracle would take place. Father, we continue to, to lift up our country, our leaders. Father, we, we lift up our military. We, we lift up, Father, anyone who maybe is in harm's way today, that you would put a hedge of protection around them and fill them with your strength, your power, and your love. And God, I'm so thankful for this church, for the sweet spirit that's in this place. And I pray your spirit would always be here within us. Father, we pray a special prayer for the devoted women's conference this Saturday, that it would be more, God, and that not only women but families would be transformed, anoint the, the speakers, the musicians, that it would be a great day, Father, of revival and spiritual renewal and Father, we just pray now that your Holy Spirit would continue to move through the music in this place and speak through my friend, my brother in the Lord, Jason, and use him as a powerful testimony, God, 
of the miracle that you've done in his life. So, Father, we love you, and we just thank you for loving us. Lord, it's my prayer if there's someone or many here or watching that have never placed their faith and trust in you, that something would be said or done today that someone or many might come to accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior. So, Father, we commit this service to you, thanking you for the victories we trust you to bring. For it is in the strong and holy and powerful name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. I am so grateful that you're here today and before the choir comes to lead us and thank you all for being here today. I'm so thankful to introduce you to Jason Coger. Uh, Jason Coger is uh, from a, a small town in western Kentucky near Owensboro and I'm so grateful that today Jason and his son Axel are here. Jason is married and has three children. It was back in the fall that my wife Kelly was at a book signing, kind of a book fair at the Joseph Beth Booksellers in Lexington. Her sister-in-law had a table set up with the book of her own and then next to them was Jason Coger. He also is the author of a book, Handed a Greater Purpose, in which he tells his story of a horrific accident that took place a few years ago and how his life was changed forever. Jason is the first bilateral upper arm amputee in the world to be fitted with two multi-articulating bionic hands. And I was just sharing with some people um, before the service, you know, I complained about this broken finger and an artificial joint and breaking this thumb, playing basketball, and I feel ashamed that I would complain for what Jason has been through. And I also want to share this, that after the early service, I had people coming by. One gentleman said, I could listen to him all day. I don't think I've ever heard any of you all tell me, <laughs> Todd, we could hear you all day. I even heard people telling him, take as much time as you need. I've never heard anyone tell me. Those are true stories, as a matter of fact, Jason, that they did say, give him more time. But I know that you will uh, join with me in making Jason feel welcome, be in prayer as he comes after the choir sings to lead us once again but Jason we welcome you and your son Axel here and it's been my joy to get to know you all and look forward to how God's going to use you this service bless you
All right, here we go. Thank you all for having me uh, today. The first service, I felt like I had to watch that clock because I knew people were coming in afterwards. And uh, as I was sitting here just now, Axel actually told me, he's like, you should tell him this story and that story. And so I don't guess I did as good for him <laughs> at the first service. Um, so I, I'm gonna warn you right now, I graduated from Murray State University and the only class that I failed was public speaking. So now that I get asked, because I have a story to tell, uh, the one thing that I do remember from the public speaking stuff is you gotta grab their attention right off the bat. Um, so my brother-in-law actually bought me two shirts whenever I was in the hospital. And one of them says, look, ma, no hands. And the other one says, don't shoot them unarmed. So <clears throat> most time when I wear those, people just kinda, they're pretty calm. <clears throat> So there's one thing that I want y'all to think about while I speak. Um, you know, one thing that everybody either asks themselves, most time they ask themselves this question a lot, and it's why. Like, why do bad things happen to good people? Uh, why do we lose loved ones? Uh, why do we go through trials? Why do we go through these errors? And I don't have answers to all that, but I do have a, a testimony, and I want to share that with you. Somebody told me once that uh, God does not sentence us to trials and pain, but he trusts us with it. And I think that's huge. Um, on, I'm from Owensboro, Kentucky, right outside of Owensboro. And where I lived, where I grew up, it was my house. And then right next door was uh, my uncle, which I had a cousin that lived there. It was my age. Next door to him was my grandfather. And next door to him was my other uncle with a cousin my age. And there was 2,300 acres of corn and soybeans that my grandfather uh, farmed. So we had plenty of room to run around uh, my entire life. I told my cousins that one thing that we always wanted to do eventually is raise our family in the same area. Uh, you know, mom and dad would leave and we would be out there raising our kids the exact same way. And so I'd, I went to Murray State University. Uh, my dad owned a construction company so I kind of knew exactly how my life was going to be. And even at that, you know, you hear people that they have these goals, they have these things, and sometimes what we think we want for ourselves sometimes doesn't work out that way either. So I came home from Murray, uh, got married right off the bat. I told my wife that we were going to buy a house that, to start off in, and we bought a 800-square-foot home. Uh, it was in, in Owensboro, in town. And uh, she told me, she said, now, I want to have four kids eventually. And uh, she said, after we have our first, we can be in this house. But after our first, we got to go. Like, this is a pretty tight, you know, house. It was our bedroom. And then the second bedroom was our closet. And then the third bedroom is where our first child was going to be. Um, so once we started talking about having children, um, we ended up, we got pregnant. Our first uh, child was a girl. Her name's Billy Grace. Um, Y'all gonna get the longer version of this too. This morning I was kind of pretty quick. Um, Billy Grace was named after my wife's dad. He passed away before we got married. Uh, his name was Billy, so we decided that first child, no matter male, female, it'd either be B-I-L-L-Y or B-I-L-L-I-E. So Billy Grace was my first. Um, after that, you know, Jenny was kind of telling me, well, you know, we're gonna wait this long, whatever, to have our, uh, have our second. Um, that time was a whole lot faster than what we expected. 
So Jenny came home one night or one day and was like, hey, um, we really need to move. I was like, why? She said, I'm pregnant again. So I immediately went to my mom and dad's house, and uh, I did not give them an option. I told them they had to leave. So <laughs> they moved to town. We moved in. We had our second child was a little girl. Um, her name's Campbell. Uh, Billy and Campbell were 21 months apart. So here we are living out uh, where I was raised up. My cousins are already moving out here. Uh, for about a year and a half prior to that, I was working seven twelves. So I was hardly ever home working all the time. And uh, March 1st of 2008 was the first warm day of the year and was one of the first days that I was off work for that year and a half. And um, we woke up that morning and and Jenny told me at the time, Billy Grace was 21 months old, Campbell was three months old. Uh, I told Jenny, I said, let's go uh, to Owensboro into the mall. They had this little train that you could ride. And so I'll take the kids on a little train ride. And so we did that, came home, and I told my wife, I said, uh, I'm going to put the kids down for a nap, and then I'm going to go ride the four-wheeler around my grandfather's farm. And I know I already told you where we lived, but behind my house, there's a gravel lane so it goes behind my house and it's like a u-shape and ends up at my grandfather's at the grain bins at his house uh, my grandfather actually passed away a few months uh, before this day and um, so after i put the kids down for a nap i went outside got on the four-wheeler i went down this gravel lane and then i turned left the second left turn there's a culvert and it's the only place you can cross and uh, I tell people, you know, I've been out there my whole entire life. I was 29 years old at the time. And um, I, told, uh, I told them in the last service that at nighttime when you get up uh, and you got to go to the bathroom, you know, you can walk to the bathroom in the pitch dark, uh, not trip over anything because you know it so well. That's how it was riding around the farm. So I was kind of looking through the field and just, you know, just riding slow. Uh, the second turn, when I turned and looked, I noticed something. And at the time, I didn't know what it was. I hit the brake and I kind of slid into this uh, thing that I didn't know what it was at, at the time and it hit the front of the four-wheeler and it kind of bounced out and then it come back and hit me in the chest. And it was a uh, power line. So the power line hit me in the chest and landed on my gas tank in between my handlebars and my body. So instantly, it didn't do anything. And uh, I remember you know, just kind of looking around like, where does it go? So it goes to a field pump um, so I'm already starting to assume that maybe it was shut off because there's no reason to have a fuel pump going whenever crops out, right? So I'm thinking, well, maybe somebody shut it off. Uh, and then I thought, I'm on rubber tires. Maybe, maybe that's the, the good thing. So I knew not to get off the four-wheeler. I look up on top of the hill, my cousin's outside. So I had no other options except for back up, go forward, whatever. So I reached down and I grabbed the line and I picked it up. And, and went underneath it. So I rode up to my cousin's house and, and I told him, I said, hey, there's a down power line. The guide wire had actually broke so the pole was leaning and this line was 30 inches off the ground. So I told him, I said, you know, it didn't do anything to me and I'm really worried that there's gonna be some kids riding four-wheelers in the neighborhood and if they're running super fast, I was really more worried about somebody getting decapitated, you know, just by going super fast because I was going slow I wasn't even thinking about electricity. So uh, I told my cousin, I said, let's go down there and we'll look at it. So we drove back down to, to where it was and Travis, my cousin, was behind me and, and I told him, I was looking at him 
But I told him, I said, man, if that line was just a little bit higher, and I kind of stuck my arm out just to show him how high. Um, and then at that moment, I just felt a vibration all the way through my body. Uh, everything went black. I don't remember seeing anything. Um, the next thing I remember is I, I woke up on the ground. I felt like I was on fire. Uh, I tried to climb down into a ditch to cool off. There was water in the ditch, and my cousin was pulling me out. Um, my cousin told me that later on that whenever I, t I took 7,200 volts of electricity, uh, that's more than an electric chair. Electric chair is only 6,900. Um, my cousin told me that it looked like 4th of July was coming off my body, just sparks flying. And, um, I took electricity for 30 seconds, and then whenever the line shut off or the breaker broke, um, it threw me off the back of the four-wheeler. My heart completely stopped. I hit the ground hard enough. Then my heart started back up, and that's when I woke up. Uh, my cousin didn't know if I was going to lie, you know, if I was going to live or not. And, um, so anyway, I climbed down in this ditch trying to cool off, and he's pulling me out. He'd already called 911. He called his dad, my uncle. My uncle was rushing back. I seen him coming. Um, and then my, my other cousin, Charlie, had seen my uncle just running through in his vehicle back to the back of the farm really fast so he's like you know what's going on so he drives down there on the four-wheeler and finds out that I that I was hurt um, and I don't know if Charlie really knew at the time what had happened to me but they told him hurry up get back to the road to find the ambulance to show him where you are because you couldn't see where I was so uh, my cousin goes to the to the road to uh, find the ambulance and you know fire trucks and all that stuff and um, as he was up there you know, here my wife is two houses down, and he's not going to call her because he, I think, he does not think I'm going to make it. And he didn't want my wife back there. So he calls my mom and my dad in town, and he told them, he said, Jason's been in an accident. And uh, so my mom said, what kind of accident? And Charlie said, I don't know, and, uh, but you need to go to the hospital. So then uh, my mom, you know, I think said, Charlie, is Jason alive? And Charlie didn't respond. So, you know, she had no clue what was going on. And, so uh, my mom called my wife. She uh, jumped in the vehicle and, and got back behind the farm as fast as she could. By the time she got there, uh, the ambulance was already there. They were starting to load me up in the, in the ambulance. And, uh, and, and my wife, Jenny, she got to ride in the ambulance with me. And so she got in the ambulance, and she was sitting there. And I told her, she was like, what, what happened? And I remember looking at my left thumb. And my left thumb is where electricity came out. It was just barely hanging on just by some some skin just a little um it actually came out the bottom of my right foot they found my tennis shoe 30 feet from where i was where power blew my tennis shoe off um so i'm, I'm sitting there and I, and I told my wife on the way to owensboro hospital i said it's really not that big of a deal i'm just gonna lose my thumb and i know i mentioned my grandfather passed away two or three months before i got hurt my grandfather actually was a single arm amputee he got his arm uh, caught in a corn picker when he was 29 years old too and that's how old it was and I just remember saying, you know, I mean, Papa lost his whole entire arm, and I, he still picked up hay and worked in the fields, and like everything's gonna be okay. I'm just gonna lose my thumb, and I just said it over and over and over. So I got to Owensboro, and as soon as I got there, people were rushing in and out. Jenny had no idea I was even electrocuted. Um, doctors running in and out, and uh, a doctor comes in and says, "We gotta get this kid out of here." And uh, so anyway, I, he came in. He said, "Hey, listen, we gotta get you to a burn unit." And there's a helicopter coming to get you right now. So you're either going to go to Louisville, Kentucky, or you're going to go to Nashville, Tennessee. So me being me, I'm like, well, 
I know a lot of people lives in Nashville, so let's just go to Nashville. And uh, he's like, man, listen, it, it's whoever calls us back first where you're going. So uh, Vanderbilt called back first. I was life flighted uh, uh, to Vanderbilt Hospital. I remember going up into the helicopter and them taking me in through the back. Uh, my feet were touching the front windshield. There was one pilot. Um, my left shoulder was touching the wall where I could see out the window. Uh, there was a nurse behind me that my head was literally laying in her lap and she was looking right over top of me. There was a nurse to my right and then all the instruments to keep somebody alive. Um, we got in the air heading to Nashville, which is complete south from Owensboro. And as I was looking out the window, my house is south of the hospital too. So we went right over top of my house. I remember seeing people down where I got hurt. Um, I kept on asking the nurse, uh, you know, why, why are we going to Nashville? I don't understand what's going on. And the entire time she would just say, everything's going to be okay. Everything's going to be okay. She wouldn't tell me anymore. Um, while we were in there, she told me, she said, uh, all right, we're going to go on and prep you and get you ready for surgery. First thing we got to do is cath you. They would, get, they would not give me any kind of medication at, at all at this time. I was hurting. Um, so they cathed me, and I remember seeing the, the bag that your urine goes into, and I remember it, it looked like Dr. Pepper. It was that dark. And I didn't know what that was, and I found out later on that uh, when you get electrocuted, it burns you from the inside out, and it causes poisonous toxins inside your body, which has to be released somewhere. It goes through your kidneys. Um, that urine, that black stuff was my uh, kidneys shutting down. So uh, at, at the moment when I got to Nashville, they weren't worried about anything except for saving my life because my kidneys, my organs were starting to shut down. So I remember landing in Vanderbilt. I remember uh, getting out of the helicopter, going down an elevator into a, in a hallway. into a room that looked like a morgue, everything still, bright lights. And at that moment, to be honest with you, I didn't know if I was alive or if I was dead. Is this what you see? I didn't know what it was. Um, and then that's about the last thing I, I remember. Now, that room that I went into is called a hydro room. And hydro is where they take a pressure washer and they wash your dead skin off of you. Um, I went through that procedure with no medication whatsoever because my wife hadn't got there to sign release forms to, to go to surgery or do anything else. So um, luckily they got medicine that makes you forget all that kind of stuff, so I don't remember it. But um, immediately when Jenny got there, uh, they immediately told her, hey, look, we need you to sign release forms to amputate what we got to amputate or do a blood transfusion. Uh, and if you don't sign this, your husband's fixing to die. Uh, immediately, she said, you know, she signed papers and uh, she told, she told the, doc or the doctor, said, do you want to go say something to him before he goes back? And so her, my mom, and my dad, uh, they come in the room. I don't remember that. Uh, it was, I'm sure, pretty quick, but kissed me, whatever, prayed over me, and went to surgery. When I went into the surgery, uh, I knew they had to amputate something, so they started, or I didn't.
So they started activating. Um, I was there for several hours the first time. At night, I was put into an acute coma uh, for three days. And for three days, I went through amputations every single day. They immediately amputated both um, arms at that time. They, they amputated my right right off the bat, and they cut me from my elbow out on my left. And they said when they opened it up, it looked like a shotgun had went off on the inside of, of my arms. And actually, my tendons on all ten fingers was wrapped around my wrist. So my fingers would have never worked anyway. Um, so they immediately amputated both, but for three days, uh, they would amputate a little bit more and a little bit more until my kidneys started straightening up. Uh, long and short, they, um, they amput I'm, I'm still below my elbow, thankfully, thankfully. Um, three days later, I wake up in a hospital room and I'm laying flat on a bed, strapped down. Uh, I remember seeing a nurse beside me. I had feeding tubes and all that kind of stuff. And I remember asking the nurse that I wanted to talk to my dad. So my dad comes in the room with my mom and uh, the first thing he says, he looks down at me and he said, I don't know how, but I know that, you know, we've always had faith. We've always believed and God's going to get us through this one way or another. two little kids, and, and I don't get to talk about Axel much because Axel wasn't born at the time, but uh, two little girls, uh, you know, got a house, got to feed them. My life was completely turned upside down. Went to the, uh, a room, and maybe the next day, a couple days later, I meet my doctor for the first time. His name's Dr. Uh, Jeffrey Guy was his name. He was over the whole burn unit. So he comes in, he sits down with me, and he says, Jason, I want you to know that you're probably going to be in this hospital room for months. Like, you know, you lost both your arms. He got to telling me basically what electricity does to a person. And he said, uh, it's going to be a long road. But he said, there's one thing that I want to ask all my patients is I want you to have one go before you get out of this hospital. And I want to help you reach one go. And uh, so anyway, he told me, he said, I want you to, to think about that. So he stood up and he went to walk out. And I remember uh, saying, Dr. Guy, come back in here and sit down with me. So he comes back in, he sits down with me and he said, what do you want? And he said, and I told him, I said, I already know what I want. Like I know what I gotta be able to do. And I remember telling him that Maybe a day or two after that, Dr. Guy comes in my room and he says, your kids are here. Do you want to you wanna see them? I'm going to go get them. I'm going to bring them in your room. And I said, no, you're not. I said, dude, I don't want them in my room. I said, I, I have no arms. I got feeding tubes. I got tubes hanging out of my arms. I got catheters. I mean, like everything, heart monitors. I mean, everything you can think of, I, I'm hooked up to. Um, actually, some of you may know what a wound back is. I had a wound back that... I had to be plugged up to a wall all the time because it would suck the infection out of my arms. Um, now I'm sure they're portable, but at the time I had to be plugged up all the time. So I told him, I said, 
I want to go to the waiting room. And he said, there's no way you can go to the waiting room. And I said, why? And he said, because I got to unhook all this stuff. I said, that's okay. Unhook it. You put it in, take it out. Um, I talked him into taking my feeding tubes out and, and all my stuff. And I remember the feeling of a feeding tube coming out of your stomach and out of your nose is not a very good, pleasant feeling. And uh, I told him, I said, don't worry, I'll, I'll, I will eat. I promise. I'm not getting that back in. And so he hooked me, went to uh, the waiting room, and I held my kids for the first time, which was just a few days after moment. Not that I ever thought that things wouldn't happen, but I knew at the moment uh, everything's going to be okay because I reached my first go. That's what I did. Um, so Dr. Guy comes back in, and I told him, I said, hey, how can I get out of this hospital? Like, what do I need to do to get out of this hospital? And he said, Jason, man, it's going to be months. Like, it's going to be a while. And he started telling me a few things that I had to do in order to get out. And so anyway, every single day, I just told myself that I'm going, I'm going to do everything I can to get out of here. And I'm going to try to get out of here as soon as I can. I got a family. I got two girls and two hours away from my house. Jenny's trying to drive back and forth. She's staying at, in Nashville. It just, I wanted to go home. So um, 12 days after my accident, Dr. Guy walks in my room and he says, hey, um, I never thought I'd ever tell you this, but I'm going to let you go home. And he said, as long as you let me walk you to the car or take you in a wheelchair. And I said, hey, that's fine. So uh, we get all our stuff together and in the burn unit at Vanderbilt, it's like an L-shaped hallway. We, and I was in the very, very back. So I come out of the, the hallway, went to the left, and when I went around that corner, every doctor and every nurse was on both sides of the hallway clapping and hugging me, and it was like I didn't even try to inspire them. I wasn't trying to do that. I was just trying to live my life, and I wanted to go home. Um, so I went back to Owensboro, and the very first day I got back home, um, I was uh, Jenny had to go to the grocery. She didn't know I was going to get out that quick, so she was going to go to the grocery, and my mom was sitting at the house with me, and my mom said, uh, or I was sitting on the couch, and I said, hey, Mom, where's the keys to my truck? She was like, I don't know. <laughs> so she pulls these keys off the counter, and she was like, here they are. What do you want them for? I said, I just want to see if I can do something. And she said, all right, well, let's go. I'll go outside with you. I said, I don't want you to go outside with me. I said, I want to go outside by myself. So I went outside, and, and actually she said, well, I don't know how to give you the keys. I said, I'll put them in my mouth. So she put these keys in my mouth, and I go outside, and, and it might have took me an hour. It might have took me a couple hours. I don't remember, but um, I was using my feet, my teeth, my, just everything I had. Got my truck opened up, got inside, got it started, and I was like, I got to drive now. So I drove around my grandfather's farm 12 days after losing two hands. Um, and at that moment, you know, I just, I knew that I was going to do everything that I can to still be the dad that I wanted to be before. This was not going to stop me. It wasn't going to slow me down. So I just come up with just different things. And I mean, obviously, when I tell my story, there's a lot of ups and downs. Uh, there's a lot, there was a lot of funny things. There was a lot of embarrassing things. Uh, the first trip that we went to Owensboro as a family was me, Jenny, and the two girls. And we go to Hobby Lobby, and I cannot stand shopping anyway. So I tell my wife, I said, I tell you what, you take Campbell. She's still in, in, a, in a box or, you know, in a car seat. So you just take her, and, and then I'll take Billy. So I was carrying Billy in my arms, in my nose. That's all I had, you know. And 
So I got her, and we're in Hobby Lobby, and we're just kind of walking around. I told Jenny when she gets done, you know, we'll meet back up and go home. So um, Billy Grace was, uh, she got to kicking her feet. So I was about to drop her, so I, like, set her down on the ground, and she takes off running down the aisle, and I yell at her, so, Billy Grace, get back over here. So she turns around, she comes running to me, and I tell people it was almost like a movie. Like, you know, she had her arms wide open, fixing to hug me, kiss me. She loves me, like it's awesome, and slow motion. And so I'm kind of bent over, like waiting on her to jump my arms. And she grabs me by my pants and all the way down to my ankles. So, so I'm like, oh my gosh, Billy, you got to pull my pants up when nobody around. Uh, she wouldn't do it. So. I'm like, okay, I gotta, I gotta find Jenny as fast as I can. So I'm wobbling, running as fast as I can. Uh, three rows over, I run into all kinds of people, and uh, Jenny, uh, she's like, oh my gosh, this is so embarrassing. I'm like, yeah. And uh, I said, pull my pants up. So she pulls them up, and I said, it could have been worse. She, How can it be worse? You lost your pants in the middle of Hobby Lobby, and I said, at least my underwear stayed up. So. <laughs> So things like every single day, I would go to the garage and I would try to do all kinds of stuff. We were doing Google searches, trying to find about prosthetics. I literally felt like I was the first person in the world or the second person in the world to ever lose an arm. And I thought my grandfather was the first. And I remember telling Jenny, I was like, hey, I'm gonna be the best prosthetic user in the world because Papa, he's done passed away. So I'm the second person and ain't nobody gonna be better than me because ain't nobody like me. Uh, so we start looking at all these prosthetics and I find out about this bionic hand. 2008's when the bionic hands came out. So I called a prosthetist and asked him if I could get it. He said it'll never happen. He said the hands are way too expensive, insurance will say no. So uh, I told him, I said, well, let's try. So he tried and he, he was right. I got denied, uh, got denied multiple times. I found out the person, I don't know if he was a doctor or what, but I found out the person that said it was not medically necessary for me to have hands. And I found out who he was, so I called him and uh, we had a really long, good conversation. And I basically told him, I said, I tell you what, if you want to come to Kentucky, I'll let you stay in my house. I said, I'm gonna tie your hands behind your back for two days. And I said, I want you to tell me if you can do anything. And so anyway, long and short, um, insurance said yes, that I could have his hands and I told them that if the only thing I could do is hold my kids' hands and walk across the street, I deserve that. Um, so I became the first person in the world with two uh, bionic hands. And I know when you see me, everybody asks, this is not a bionic hand. I do have two of these. Uh, but having a hook and getting inside your pocket to get your keys and stuff is a lot easier. And they told me I had to wear a fanny pack. And I didn't think I'd look very good wearing fanny packs. So. Um, so anyway, I, you know, I got these hands and I started really working super hard trying to figure them out, trying to do everything I could possibly do. Uh, my whole right arm was still, you know, like I said, skin graft, so I had my left prosthetic first. But one of the things that I really wanted to do, I love hunting, so um, one of the first things I wanted to do was, you know, I got hurt in March, turkey season comes in in April. So I called a buddy of mine, I was like, hey man, I really wanna go turkey hunting. And I said, but I know it's impossible. I didn't have prosthetics at this time. And, I said, I'll come stay the night with you and uh, I'll go hunt with you and watch you. It'd be just as fun. So I go to Butler County and stay the night with him. So I, I go to, I'm staying with Sam. 
And he says, you're going to hunt tomorrow. And I said, dude, there's no way. So he took the two screws out of the brother's shotgun, and he put a ratchet strap on it, strapped it to my shoulder. And he had a tripod on the front with a radiator hose clamp to hold the end of the gun up and a string from the trigger to my mouth. And I called Dr. Guy, and I was like, man, I hope I don't end up in Vanderbilt again. <laughs> but <laughs> I, I killed my first turkey, and that's how I did it with no, no prosthetics whatsoever. I mean, I was that determined. Uh, but the funny part of the story is that I actually want me to tell you is after I killed my turkey, we were driving down like the main highway, like the interstate. And I told my buddy Sam, because I told him before, I was like, man, you got to help me. I can't use the bathroom on my, I can't do anything. She's like, all right. So I said, man, hey, I need to, I need to pee. So we pulled over on the side of the road. And so he, uh, he helps me, you know, he reaches around and pulls my pants down. And he's like, all right, now you got the rest of it. And I said, all right. Well, he got in the truck and drove off. So here I'm standing there. <laughs> You can only imagine how my friends treat me. <laughs> so living in, living in Owensboro, you know, I had, uh, so I got these bionic hands and I, I have people reaching out to me, local news. Uh, I, I did this little article on the news and, and right after I did that, CNN called. So I ended up being on CNN. And after I did CNN, people from all over the country started calling me, reaching out to me, other amputees. and. And I figured out then that I wanted to be a voice to other amputees because I felt like I was alone. I felt like I was completely by myself. And so I started talking to all these people and phone calls were coming from Mexico to just all over the world and uh, ended up getting a phone call from a lady uh, that she called me from Hawaii. And she said, hey, I want you to, uh, I want to talk to you about some stuff. And I was like, all right. She was like, can you uh, Zoom me and some other people and I said, yeah. So anyway, I, I did this Zoom call, and she said, uh, can you hold a gun? And I was like, I guess. So, you know, I showed her how I held a gun. And she wanted to know if I could hold a coffee cup and an ink pen. cool she said so we did an episode back in the 70s it was called the Hookman episode it was a guy that had two hooks and uh, now we want to do it with a guy that has two bionic hands and you're the only person in the world that's got two bionic hands and I was like well I'm not an actor so that kind of hurts and they were like no, no that's fine we already got the face and the actor part we just need your hands I was like okay <laughs> so they fly me to Hawaii and uh, I've never been around an actor in my life, but I get on set and there's this guy laying on the ground. He's got the same looking clothes as I got on. And they said, that guy right there is Robocop from the 80s. His name's Peter Weller. And I was like, oh, that's cool. And they said, so he's going to be you. But this first shot that we got to do, and I was a bad guy. So um, we got to hurt a lot of people and they couldn't find my fingerprints. That's, that was the gist of the story. <laughs> so... Uh, Peter Weller's laying on the ground and they said, hey, we need you to get on top of him, put your arm underneath his armpit, you pull the trigger, so we're gonna film his face, your hand, shooting his gun. I was like, okay. So I walk over and uh, I lay on top of, of RoboCop, so now I'm spooning RoboCop. <laughs> and uh, I get to laughing and he looks over at me and he says, boy, what are you laughing about? And I said, 
man, I'm from Kentucky, and you're the first guy I ever laid on top of, and <laughs> I haven't even got to meet you yet. Like, at least I can shake your hand or say something to you. So uh, he and I became really good friends after all that. Uh, I spent two and a half weeks uh, in uh, Honolulu filming this episode, and this episode was like a little over $6 million. Like, it was unbelievable how they make TV, and so, Peter Weller called me after I got home and he said, hey, the company that makes your hands is called Touch Bionics. And they said, uh, you know they got a new handout? And I said, yeah, man, but insurance ain't gonna buy it. He said, well, wait till I get off the phone with them. So he basically calls them and says, hey, if y'all want y'all's name on national TV, send Jason two new hands. So I became the second person in the world, or the first person in the world with second Bionic hands. Um, so then, uh, a little while later, you know, RoboCop called me and he said, Jason, I want to come to Owensboro and I want to hang out with you. So he flew into my hometown uh, on the anniversary of my accident and I told him, I said, let's ha have a party, you know. And So I talked to him into letting me have a party and having people that's never met an actor, right? And uh, so I told him, I said, I may charge to get in. I don't know what I'm going to do. He's like, I'll, I'll do whatever you want. So about, I don't know, a week or two before Axel was born and I had climbed up in the attic to get a toy box out. And when I opened it up to get him some toys out, there was a poster of RoboCop that I saved whenever, you know, in the 80s from when I was a kid. And I was just like, blew my mind that this guy's coming to my hometown. So we had this party and I charged $10 a person to get in. Um, <laughs> the next day, we were counting all this money and it was $18,000 and I gave $18,000 to seven different local charities. And I've done that a few times now, but I don't brag about the opportunities I've had and things I've done. I've met people all walks of life. I've met people that, that believe, that don't believe. I've met actors to non-actors, rich people to poor people. Like, I've met all kinds of different people. And it blows my mind because RoboCop wanted to come to Owensboro to surround himself with people that I surround myself with. Um, Alex Olaf and McGarrett on Hawaii Five-O, he called me one time and his house was on fire. And he told me, he said, Jason, man, you're the first person I thought of because I know everything's gonna be okay. And that dude can call anybody in the world that he wants to and it just blows my mind that a small country boy from Kentucky changed life the way I have. And it's obviously God's in front of me. Opens these doors and I'm more than willing that when God's pushing me, that I can walk through it and I know that everything be okay one way or another so since then I've been to uh, I've done uh, Apple commercials on the Super Bowl uh, I did a movie with Matthew McConaughey I've been on the CNN's I, I wrote my first book that's handed a greater purpose uh, I've been on the Associated Press uh, four years ago I was telling somebody earlier four years ago I killed the 16th biggest whitetail in the state of Kentucky that year uh, with a crossbow like everything that I've done has been the things that everybody said you won't be able to do or you cannot be. You cannot do this, you can't do that. Um, one of the best things that has happened in my life since then, I truly believe that uh, I want to reach my, I want my story to reach those that don't believe. And I know everybody in this room believes or you wouldn't be here. Um, I want to reach, reach those people that believe there's no way God walked on the water. Like, that's impossible, right? Um, I want 
I want those people that don't believe this, and everybody in this room believes that. So uh, the ones that don't believe that, I want to show them, like, hey, look, I am a real person, and what I've been through, you cannot get through without God. It is impossible. Um, so... So that's been the biggest, biggest part of my story is being able to share, uh, just to share my testimony. And, um, you know, everybody's going to go through bad times and hard times. And my story is not any more important than anybody else in this room. Uh, I just I just have a story that I, that I need to share and I want to share. And, uh, you know, I appreciate everybody having me here. And, Todd, I don't know if you want to come on up, but... You know, number one, what you have to do is you you, have, you just have to tell God that, hey, I'm here, and I want you to work through me. I want you to push me forward. I want you to push me through every single door that opens up for me and um, help people know that without him, nothing's impossible. All right, nothing is possible without him. You have to have, you have to help God, you have to have God, and and I wish I could answer the whys, I really do, but I never one time looked back on my life and said, I wish that March 1st, 2008 never happened. I'm completely fine with what happened because I know God has a, a greater plan for me and I'm more than willing to go through those doors and share my story. So thank you, Mom. I'm sure I'm fast, maybe, but you are.
Amen. I know that your heart was touched and inspired as mine was, both of these services. And I know that God has a plan and a purpose for everything we go through, and we certainly don't understand it at the time. We could all testify for different times in our lives that we've gone through and we've said why. And I've told you on many occasions the why it turns into for what purpose. And that God has a reason for things we go through. And I'm so grateful. Jason, that through this terrible, um, horrific accident, that God has been able to use you in a far greater way maybe than you ever would have been used before had this not happened. And maybe you're here today and you're going through just a, a horrific time in your life and you're wondering if God cares or if God loves you. He does love you. He does care. not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. And so God has a plan for your life today. And, and if you don't know him, I pray that you would come to give your life to Christ. None of us are promised tomorrow. Death is no respecter of age or person. And if you're here and you don't know Christ, I would love, be honored to pray with you. And you can ask Christ in your heart if you're a Christian and you've been getting down thinking your life is so bad. Believe me, somebody else has it worse. Somebody else is going through far greater hardship. It doesn't take away from the pain that you have. Your pain is real. But know with God's help and grace, he will strengthen you. And you can come back to him today. I love the fact that, Jason, your, your uh, goal was to, to be able to hold your children in your arms God wants to hold us in his arms. We are his children. And he would love for you to come to him today. Or if you're looking for a church, this is a We'd love to have you, but however the Holy Spirit leads, we're going to sing a hymn of commitment. It'd be my privilege to pray with you, to talk with you about your decision. And then after the service, Jason and Axel are going to be out in the foyer. If you would like to get a book, you're welcome to, but, but even if you don't purchase a book, they'd love to meet you, and you can show your thanks and appreciation to them. But at this time... We're going to sing a hymn of commitment. If you feel led of the Spirit to come, I invite you as we sing together.
Amen. I want to thank you all so much for being here today. Aren't you glad you came to worship today and to hear Jason's powerful testimony? I know he was a blessing to me. I pray he was to you. And again, even if you don't get a book, at least go by and thank uh, he and Axel for being here. And so grateful, Kelly, that God brought you all together back in the fall so you could invite him to come. And please know that if you are a guest today, thank you for worshiping with us. We invite you to come back to worship with us. Don't forget to go by the Welcome Center, pick up a free gift as a token of our love and appreciation for you coming. We will not have coffee and connections tonight. There will be no children's uh, activities, but our students will be back in the youth room, so uh, get young people to go at six tonight, but thank you all, church, for being here. Know how much that uh, we love you and how much God loves you, and uh, this is a special place, and I hope you join us on Wednesday night prayer meeting at six in this room or five o'clock downstairs. Ladies, I think there's about ten tickets left. If you haven't gotten your ticket to Devoted, there's only about 10 left. Be in prayer for a great day on Saturday. I know it will be. But thank you all for worshiping with us. We're going to sing a closing song right now. Have a wonderful afternoon. pray oh God we sing and shout hallelujah for being a great and awesome God and we thank you for the miracle that you performed Lord in Jason's life and now he's sharing his story with others may we leave here with hope may we 